Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikoff, and I am from Firebird Summit. My partner in this podcast is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Every week we meet and discuss coaching topics relative to professional development, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. Join us and see if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation. Well, hello, hello, and I am Alora Chestikoff from Firebird Summit, and welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. What's up, everyone? I'm Lawrence Henderson with Boss LLC, and I am excited to be here today. Woo! Hey. Wow. As usual, it has been an interesting week here in the downside of 2020, the year that seems to keep on giving. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oof, does it ever. Yes. So, you know, a lot of times we talk about stuff that's a little more philosophical in nature, um, definitely more coaching oriented around, you know, kind of bigger issues. But as we were just chatting before we were getting started, you know, I think something super tactical that a lot of people find helpful um, is probably worth tackling today. So it is just to set this in a point in time, we are recording this on September 30th which is the day after the first presidential debates in the general election in 2020. Um, I mention that only because in, regardless, I think of, of your politics and obviously Lawrence and I are not, you know, unbiased and clearly we don't try to hide that. Um, but I think there was something really interesting, a lot of things really interesting um, and, and not always very graceful about last night's debate, right? And, and today the, the debate commission released uh, um, an announcement that they're planning to change the rules for next time because one of the things that kept happening over and over again is that, you know, the president was interrupting. He wasn't giving somebody else a chance to talk. He was, you know, taking more. He he, he wasn't he wasn't uh, adhering to the rules that that both campaigns agreed to in terms of the debate. And I think what, it, what would be great to talk about today is how do you conduct a meeting, keep your cool in the face of someone or or someone's who are either overtly hostile or uncooperative, you know, as as a leader in any kind of organization, doesn't matter what it is, keeping your cool is a fundamental component of executive presence, right? You, being calm under pressure. In all fairness, for the most part, actually, I thought Joe Biden did a remarkably admirable job of trying to maintain that, even though he, you know, Trump was going out of his way to try to bait him. But the truth is, there are plenty, but the, the reality of that is, though, Biden knew what things he was going to cut, Trump was going to push on, right? We knew he was going to go after Hunter Biden. We knew he was going to, you know, there were a lot of, of just things that had been telegraphed enough um, and sort of same old talking points. The challenge I think most of us in a day, in our daily lives face is that when we find ourselves in a meeting with someone who's hostile or combative or whatever, you know, a lot, a lot of times we don't see it coming. A lot of times we don't, we're, we can be caught flat footed. So I think, you know, again, this is a very tactical conversation today. I think, you know, what are the techniques that you can use to manage yourself and to make sure that at the end of the meeting, at the end of the project, at the end of whatever it is, you walk away, A, feeling proud of how you handle the difficult situation, but B, also model the kind of behavior that is important to make sure that we're creating cultures and environments that while we might not be able to fix everything that's wrong with it, we're definitely not contributing toxicity into an environment that's already challenged. So I, I really kind of want to set the stage with that. I think, you know, last night gave us quite the poster child of what not to do in many ways. Um, but the truth is, it can be really hard to know how to respond when faced with something so egregiously outside the norms of what we consider, you know, polite, you know, just basic, courteous, professional behavior. Um, But that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And it can be very hard in the moment if you haven't really thought about it. Like, you know, if if you've never really had a hostile meeting audience, then the first time you get one, I remember, I remember the first couple of times being like, holy crap, what the hell do I do? do oh my god and i like to process things quietly a lot and so it was like not until two or three hours later when i realized damn that's what i should have said which (laughs) didn't really help me at that point so i'm gonna open it up so lawrence 
Let's start with you. What are, what are some really basic techniques that you yeah. employ to keep your shit, to make, hold your ground, to make, maintain your integrity mm-hmm. and to ensure that your dignity is not in any way compromised by someone else's poor behavior? Yeah. And I, I think the, a, a foundation for that, and, and it's a great topic, particularly with so much anxiety, so much, so much pressure people are putting on themselves of do I return to the, the facility, the work building and all the rest of those things and the conversations that are, are ramping up around just that. Um, you have to, I believe, start with um, your values and, and what and begin to formulate what does two way communication around setting some boundaries. Um, and last night, there were no clear boundaries set. They thought there were. Um, there was one adult um, that came in believing there were boundaries. Um, and then but he did not realize how much of a toddler um, was coming into the room with him. Uh, um, even though again, it's it was assume the best until proven wrong, right? The whole Stephen Covey thing. But when they kept proving him wrong, at some point, um, you have to to disengage. And I'm a huge believer in you train people how to treat you. Um, and, and that needs to be communicated with what does right look like when we're engaging. And one of the things and, and I love that you brought up we can have differing political affiliations, but you will not disrespect me because of my differences and because of my opinion. And so that is the basis of humanity is um, the, the <laughs> stone age version of uh, the golden rule. Um, and, and when you come in with the basis of that, um, I now like to tell my my coaching students and even my, my clients, get more curious than confrontational. And I believe that's really how you squelch a lot of arguments because a lot of times when you're reacting or somebody's responding what appears to be in an angry manner, I need to be curious to make sure I'm having a conversation in context. And so if you all of a sudden in a conversational lure come at me and you go, Bleh! like, and you're just firing off darts, Although immediately offensive, right? Like, and again, my thing is, uh, y'all, not, I'm not that person. Like, please, please understand and hear me and see me correctly. I'm not that dude. I'm not that one. Oh, Laura, it seems like you're so upset. My thing is stop. What we're not going to do here is be disrespectful. And yeah, so, if, you, if you got that, if you got that warm and fuzzy with me, I might vomit. <laughs> no, uh, well, and, and, uh, and again, for the context, everybody else, like Alora's not that woman. Like she's like, like don't don't bark up 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 that tree. You gonna you gonna get what you what you ask for, right? Yes. But but I believe in in the moment, telling people to stop being assertive in that moment when you believe somebody's being aggressive. Like, hey, before we go further. I want to understand because it seems to me I'm observing you feel you being agitated, you ramping up on your voice, your emotion. I'm watching your body language. Something seems off. I want to make sure I'm having the same conversation and I want to make sure this is constructive. A lot of times when I see people, employees arguing with each other or managers getting upset with people is because nobody clarified the type of conversation that was about to happen. Oh, and so one thing we assume is people know how to process emotion, feeling and all the rest of that. Like somebody's somebody, what you call anger may actually be the face of somebody's anxiety. And so we need to make sure we're having the right conversation and we're categorizing things like I need to address the behavior and not what I believe you're feeling. And so there's there's a huge delineation between that. If you are going off on me, that is a behavior. I need to stop and address the behavior. Then we can have a conversation to make sure we're having it in context. What made you go there? Was it something I said? Was it something you read? We need to be professional and maintain this because I, and, and again, people, Stop running to HR to have these conversations for you. Be an adult and say, stop. If you want to escape the conversation, just say, stop and remove yourself. But you need to stop it so, so they don't believe they could do it again in your presence. 
that's, I think, the, I think that's a super, super huge key, right? And I think this is one of those things that is, um, I think it's in some ways a little bit easier for some of us to grow into that over time, right? I mean, I, I don't know anybody who doesn't look back when they were, you know, 22, 23, 24 and realize, damn, I put up with some shit I had, like, I should never have tolerated that. And it can be anything from something as extreme as, you know, overt racism or sexual harassment to something a lot more passive aggressive and like manipulative. Like, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, but again, this is one of those places where I, I, I would never trade being 45 in for being 25 ever again. Like seriously, cause there are so many things that I know to be on the lookout for now. I know how to watch for, I understand how I need to react in order to stop it before it gets out of control. Um, but I think this is one of those things that's really interesting to me. So I do a lot of project work, right? And it's, whether it's, it's three months or six months or 12 months, whatever it is, it's project work. And one of the things that I think is, um, and, and this is increasingly common as you have, you know, consulting teams come in or partners come in where you, you where everybody comes together and you form a project team for a certain amount of time. Um, and I think one of the things that is a really big struggle that I see a lot in project teams is that you get into this, everybody starts off with a lot of enthusiasm and like, you know, positive intent. And, and to be fair, I, in, in the IT world, especially, that's usually what I see. We get started, we're excited, it's good. And then when you start getting into the weeds, all of a sudden, that's when you start butting heads. That's when you discover, I can't stand having meetings with this person. I can't stand this. When this happens over here. And, and, and the problem that I think comes up a lot in, in, in that part of my universe is that you get in your own head about, God, I have another nine months of dealing with this person, right? So I think one of the first things that you have to do is come back to kind of your point, right? Which is, Let's be curious. Let's not, let's, first of all, let's not get bogged down in, oh my God, she makes me crazy. I can't, I can't stand being in calls with her, like whatever it is. Like, because first of all, if you got nine months to go, that is not going to help you out. So, so what serves your end goals? And to me, that is one of the most important questions that I have learned to ask myself because I can be super impulsive and I can have a very, it's so funny for somebody who's kind of as hyper rational and is, is frequently accused of not being like in touch with my emotions enough, which is actually not untrue. Um, I can be super impulsive. And like when I get pissed, I don't necessarily lash out at someone, but my inclination is it, it triggers my fight, my flight or fight instinct. And my flight instinct is hair trigger. It's like, okay, screw it. I don't need this crap. I'm gonna pack up my marbles and go home. Like, boom, I'm out of here. And that, again, that does not serve me. It doesn't serve the project. It doesn't serve my business. It doesn't serve my you know, ability to pay my own bills. Like there, there are a hundred ways that does not serve me. So I think the first question that I have learned to come back to is what best serves this situation? Is that me? Is that the client? Whatever it is, but you, I have to come back to that because that is the first thing I do to help disassociate my ego from the response, right? What everything you talked about is so valuable and so important. But I think the thing we always have to remember is when someone goes on the attack, when someone is, is having an emotional response or anything like that, our default reaction is usually ego driven and it's usually ego based. And while there's nothing wrong in that, it rarely actually serves us. So if you, for me, when I, once I started learning to stop and ask that question, what serves the situation? What serves me? I cannot think of a single time I have asked myself that question and honestly answered my pissed off ego, because my pissed off ego is never what serves the actual situation and what needs to happen. And as soon as I can consciously make the distinction between my ego's reaction to screw you, I don't want to do this, versus, okay, take a breath, count to 10, and maybe I had to count to 10 about 10 or 12 times. That's fine. Walk away, go take the dog for a walk, whatever it is before I respond. That question helps me bifurcate my options into very clear lanes of choice that then I am far more capable of making 
and acknowledging in the moment. But until I learn to do that, who man, my ego, there's a, there's a line in a Top Gun that I have always loved, which is when his commander says, boy, your body is writing check or sorry, your ego is writing checks that your body cannot cash. And I have put myself in that position so many times over the past 25 years of my career. And I have finally, slowly, fully accepted that does not serve me. So what serves me? Yeah. If that means, if that means I got to shut my mouth and put up with, you know, a bombastic jerk for a little while and let him run out of steam before I come back to him and be like, okay, look, that wasn't okay. We're not going to have another meeting like that. Whatever those boundaries are that I need to set. Sure. My first question to myself is what serves me in this situation? Yeah. And, and I, and I love that, um, Allura, particularly from a standpoint of understanding that, there are kind of two two kind of reactions to to conflict, and you alluded to that fighter, that fight, but the flight part is is where I believe a lot of people aren't aware when they go into I'm just going to cower mode. But then it also goes to in in the more controlled elements of is this serving the situation in the long game, and so I believe people understanding that there are second, third, and fourth order effects of every decision that we make in an interaction. And I, and one thing that I love that, that I learned um, about was the control influence model. And so you have in identifying quickly when a situation is a win-win, when it's a win-lose, and when it's a lose-lose. And like you said, I'm like, look, I still got to work with this person. Right now, it's a lose-lose. And lose-lose doesn't mean I move on. Lose-lose just means I'm going to table it. And, and until I'm in a situation where it serves me to re-engage. Because again, at the end of the day, I will not be disrespected. I will not allow you to violate my own values of myself that I extend to others. And so I believe when we talk about conflict at work, you need to be prepared to have healthy exchanges with people. If you go into an organization and you have the same types of people in a room, I would, I would quit after, a, after day two if I was full of an organization of people like me. I would quit. I would quit. I believe I am phenomenal as an individual. But if I multiplied myself, I am okay enough and aware enough, I can't work with another me. Oh no, I, 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 amen. Oh my gosh. Amen. Oh my gosh. And it's so funny because over the course of my career, I've had so many people, especially if I was like moving on or mm -hmm. I'd given notice and I was going to a new job, you know, bosses or other people or, you know, clients would be like, God, we just want to find another one of you. Do you know anyone? And I'm thinking to myself, holy crap, the last thing I want to know is another me. Like me is enough. Mm -hmm. there, Thank there's, you. There's one. I don't need more. Oh my God. Yeah, no, I totally hear you. <laughs> well, the funny part about that is, um, Laura, so super awareness, um, even dealing with the entrepreneur thing um, over the past week, just dealing with new clients. And like you said, in the conversation that we had um, last week, particularly around, are you asking the right questions, right hard questions early before it turns into a potential conflict type of conversation? And you're not, and you're having a conversation out of context because you didn't ask the right question. And I believe looking inward first before you outwardly project all the crazy um, that's on the inside of us is, is extremely helpful. And, um, and, and I, I, I swear for Lord, we're going to, we're going to make it through a podcast um, one of these days without bringing up Brene Brown, but I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not putting money on that one. I, at account. all. I'm, I'm out um, because I just got hip to her podcast. I know I'm late to the party, um, but that like she only started last year. You well, never well, well, I'm I am just binging um, because I got a hold of one when I did some when I did my little rest and reset this past weekend. I found the one on anxiety, calm, and over and under functioning. And when you talk about conflict, literally the awareness when I was upset about something a client sent me. I began to over-function and over-rationalize, and I was in zero calm. I was in zero calm. I went zero to 100. Like, they, blah, they don't know what they want. They don't want me. Ah, they told me they're 
changing everything on me. Ah. And my wife literally is like, this is a business. You have to make sure that you're having the right conversations. And as I'm listening to this podcast, I'm like, oh, I got to tell her she's right. Oh, I got to tell her she's right. And at the end, it was the call to action was you have to practice calm because she was like, I'm an overfunctioner. She was like, from one overfunctioner to another, talking about her mother and the story about an incident that happened. Hospital, right? Allow, yeah. yeah, and allowing people to support you identifying and you being aware of certain things. And I know, particularly in conflict, I'm a zero and a hundred dude. And, and I won't even blame it on the army and combat and none of that. I, I've been that way. But now, as a coach, I know now I can't allow myself to go there with you. And so somebody has to be yin to somebody's yang. And so somebody has to take up the position of, hey, I'm not going to stoke that fire. I'm not going to pour gasoline. Everybody knows that person who pours gasoline instead of, hey, I'm showing up with an extinguisher so that if it begins to go there, I'm just a little small squirt. So so we, we keep, and again, understanding this is all purposeful, this is all passion, whatever, bring all that to the party, but have it in a professional, tactful way. Nobody's asking you not to be upset, just asking you, let's be respectful in our exchange. And I believe that's the part that when you talk about big boy, big girl rules at work, that's the conversation that people need to have. Be like, look, I love healthy banter. Notice the word healthy. Yeah. I'm not bantering with you for the sake of bantering with you. <laughs> no, no, you don't, that's, that's, that's not what you do at work. That's what you do with your friends over a beer and a, and a football game. Like that's exactly. So, okay. So that's actually, that actually, I think dovetails, dovetails back really well to a couple of, of scenarios, right? So I think one of the biggest things, and again, this is like a very project team kind of specific dynamic, not, not as much a coaching model uh, dynamic is that one of the things that I will usually see happen is that when two or potentially more personalities start emerging in a kind of combative relationship, it, it can very quickly derail a meeting with a lot of other people. Um, and I think this is maybe one of the hardest things about everybody working from home now, right? As somebody who's worked from home for 12 years, I, I have more practice at it, so I don't always think about the working from home thing as complicating it. But in reality, it kind of does, right? Because we're human, we're very human animals. We like personal contact. If you had that kind of exchange with someone where, you know, you're in a meeting with 10 people and this one person is like strangely belligerent or combative in a way that doesn't necessarily seem to fit it's it's much easier in many respects to kind of like catch them on the walk out the door and say hey can we talk for a second can we go grab a cup of coffee i, I just want to understand what that was can i make you you know can i can i answer some questions for you whatever like some of that is a lot easier to manage in a more organic per interpersonal setting and work from home model that can be harder to deal with because a big one of the things, and again, I see this happen all the time. You have a meeting, two people on a call of 10 or 12 have just, for whatever reason, taken a, a massive dislike to each other or have taken opposite positions on something and have just decided that that person is suddenly the, you know, their Darth Vader to my Luke Skywalker, whatever the hell it is, for whatever reason. Um, at, at which point, then, you know, messaging them after. The meeting, whether it's email or I'm saying, hey, can we spend a few minutes talking? The knee jerk reaction is, screw you, man, I don't want to talk to you. And like, and, and this sort of doubling down on being entrenched in your position. Um, and so I think when it comes to how to manage this, and especially how to manage this in a very virtual kind of world, um, to me, I think after asking myself the question of, okay, what, what serves me in this situation, right? Does it help me? to get worked up because, you know, they were an ass in that meeting? No, probably not. So I think for me, there's always kind of a mix, right, of, of kind of process steps you can take that are impersonal. It's just, let's make it about the process. Let's not get anybody's feelings too wrapped up in it. And then a certain amount of, of you know, follow-up that's a little bit more personal and, and about finding some common ground. So for me on the process front, 
when I have someone who's derailing conversations with stuff like that, that, that means that I probably have not been clear enough about the purpose of the meeting, which means an agenda. And, you know, this is one of those like dumbass like business one-on-one things that everybody violates by the time they're, you know, in, in a company for six months. Have an agenda. I swear to God, it will help set the stage at the beginning of the meeting and say, look, this, this is, we are not making any decisions here. We're raising issues so we can all go off and do research. Or we did the research over the last, we were supposed to have all had done our research over the past two weeks. Today is decision time. We got to end this, this meeting with a decision, whatever it is. I, I go into so many, and I spend probably eight to 12 hours a day meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting and they will vary and some of them are oh this is just an exploratory conversation others are oh no we got we got shit to do and we got to make make a call today we're out of time whatever it is you got to start that conversation with exactly what the output needs to be and i swear to god 90% of the meetings i see run by people other than me don't do that and it makes me nuts and it leave it, it just opens the door for misunderstanding to your point earlier right are we even in the same conversation because if if you don't set the table on, on something like that you can have one person showing up just thinking they're spitballing ideas and brainstorming and another one who has already gone through the options and is ready to make the call so right there even without anything else you have have a lot of situation to kind of organically evolve that is ripe for conflict that is not necessary and if you are running a meeting then that is absolutely not helpful so first things first what is your agenda what are the objectives now i also work in a lot of environment with in a lot of environments with a lot of clients who never pre-read the material. So you can send out anything you want in advance. So take the first couple minutes, establish the ground rules. Super, super important. And then, especially if, if it is a decision-oriented conversation, one of the first things I have come to learn to do is say, okay, now that, now that we're all clear on what the goal is here, is there anyone here who does not feel they have enough information to represent your position, make your case, so that we can make a decision. Um, and, and again, you know, it's, you're not always going to get people to, to cop to that, but the more you call it out, and especially if you can do it without sounding like, well, you were all giving your homework, and if you didn't show up with it, then that's your own damn fault. I mean, you know, you can feel that, but saying that does, again, doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve what you're sure. trying to get done. So, so again, trying to keep it from sounding judgmental and critical and being like, look, we have a decision to make. It doesn't help if, you know, three of the four people who need to weigh in and frankly kind of all need to agree just are not, haven't, aren't ready. They're, they don't have what they need. Yes, we have a deadline, but a deadline with a bad decision, it's not necessarily a deadline that any of us are going to be okay with. So again, it comes back to some of those boundaries you're talking about, but it's also there's also a lot we can do to kind of depersonalize some of these things. Now, some of them are absolutely going to be personal. Somebody who takes a fundamental allergic reaction to me is going to have an allergic reaction to me, regardless of what kind of process I put in place. And then you have to deal with that separately. Exactly. And that has to be a, okay, look, clearly, clearly you and I are, are not finding a groove here. So can we talk about what it is that, that, I'm doing that's either rubbing you the wrong way or what I can do differently to help get you, you know, in a position to where you can come to these meetings and, and help us get to the answers we need or whatever it is. And I think there are so many ways you can do that. But the truth is, I often find that if you try to start with some of that and you haven't done that basic piece, like we were talking last week, right? How do you screen a client? It's, it's almost impossible to salvage a relationship that's gone off the deep end if you haven't first crossed your eye, you know, crossed your T's and dotted your eyes, And you kind yeah. of, and so I think you always have to balance the process with the willingness to have hard conversations. Mm. The process gives you the guidelines, but the willingness to have those hard conversations is where you get accountability. Exactly. Now, and I think, and I think that's, that's more of the bigger, bigger thing. Cause as we, as I think about whether it's on a project team and, and really the nuances, like you said, of personality styles and all the rest of those things, people have to come 
with a willingness to take ownership and be responsible to how they show up, but also be responsible to actually providing some input um, and feedback when asked. Um, because again, a lot of the things that I'm working on these days is around diversity, equity, inclusion. As leaders, you don't get, you don't get to say, I'm not talking, I'm not engaging, but I want a more diverse workforce, but you don't want to talk about it. I'm like, I'm going to go sit in my corner right? and I'm not going to say anything. You got to deal with it. And, and you, what's you, you go solve, you go, oh, go, on, go, on, go on, my sweet little consultant. You go oh, my solve gosh. my diversity problem. I'm going to go have a cup of coffee. You take care of it. I'll, I'll talk to you when I get back. Yeah. Tell me how it went. Like, are you kidding me? Like, and, and so when I, when I talk to these different leaders, it's like, okay, I need to, like I said, go, first of all, lean with grace. Um, and I extend grace and a whole lot of mercy as well um, as it pertains to having these conversations. But you have to you have to communicate with me what you're willing to be accountable to. And so, again, like like the project team is, hey, early on, when we build this charter, when we build this thing, like here, here's what we're trying to get to. I need to know your level of engagement and involvement to help us get there and not and not what swiss cheese holes in it i need to know we're going to get there and we're going to still be floating when we get there and i need you to tell me when you're about to dive off a cliff because i've pushed you too hard right and then maybe that's a one-on-one -on -one we have outside of here because what i say is pushing you off the cliff is totally different from what you just said like if the word race throws you off a cliff okay you you sold me a bad bill of goods because you said you was ready to have this conversation, but just the mention of race caused you anxiety. We got a bigger thing here, right? And, and so I believe really understanding from the context of what are you willing to own and then communicating assertively and effectively when somebody's taking you somewhere that you believe is out of range of what you agreed to. And like, I believe that is extremely important that we can constantly have conversations and communicate in context and perspective. Because again, my stress level is totally different from everybody else. I process stress in the mindset, in the framework of combat. That is not, there are less than 1% of the world that have, in, in, in America that have served in the military the context in which I process stress is totally different than everybody else. You will get grace from me because I don't believe your situation is stressful, but I am, I have worked on me and not judging you. <laughs> so, so that's where I'm at. So, but you need to communicate, right? <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that. So actually my fiance who was also in the military was talking last night about how, you know, he really, both loved and hated his, his military training because the training was to teach you to be brutal. And like, that was, that was fundamentally, obviously that's what, that's what soldiers and, and, and that's what the military is to do. The challenge is when you go back into civilian life, that's not necessarily an acceptable reaction to things later. And, and it's a really, you know, it's a very difficult mindset to pivot to is what what is now appropriate what is now the appropriate degree of reaction in this situation and so i think it's an interesting i think we could have a whole other very interesting topic episode just on that but to your point i think you know another thing you said that i think is super super important and very very essential i you know we spend a lot of time on it in coaching training but i think it is one of the most important things also that managers need to remember about their staff, which is not everybody has the same tolerance thresholds, frankly, for anything, happiness, misery, stress, any of it. And they don't necessarily react the same way, right? And I think this is something that is so hard for people to learn. And, and it, it just hilariously, you know, my fiance, when he gets upset, he, like he gets louder, he starts yelling. When I get upset, I get quiet and I shut up. And, and when he's really frustrated, he's like, oh my God, you're such a robot. And the truth is like, that's not an uncommon 
accusation that I've ever faced, right? Is that I get the more, the more I am trying to be careful. So I, I, I deliberately go out of my way not to fly off the handle. I used to do that when I was younger. Shit would come flying out of my mouth that then I would regret later and I would be in such a heap of crap because I would have to figure out how to unbury myself from the mess. So I learned through a lot of bad, painful lessons to just keep my damn mouth shut until I was ready to say something that I would be willing to say in public, <laughs> like just to, to be careful of my mouth. But the challenge is, and, and again, this is to your point, is that, so even just with my fiance, when I go quiet, it pisses him off. And so that's one of those things that you have to be, pay attention to, right? You have to be aware of, and you have to kind of figure out how to be okay with, is that different people are going to react to different things in different ways. And you cannot expect that you can always look at somebody's reaction and understand how they're feeling. And I think we are really, um, you know, again, as social animals, I think all of us are in some ways very overconfident in our ability to read someone else, right? We have huge, huge faith in our own ability to look at someone and say, oh, he's happy, he's sad, he's upset, he's, you know, whatever. And the truth is, yeah, you know, maybe you might, you might be 80% in the right ballpark, but that 20 is not insignificant. And you cannot put all your chips down on an assumption when you just simply don't know. And I think the thing that it comes back to, to your point is you have to ask, you have to have the conversation. And, and whether it's, you know, in a coaching relationship where you're in a one-on-one -on -one setting, I think, you know, coaching situations in particular, um, and I find it especially true when um, the company or the boss has kind of inflicted coaching on someone to help solve something, because that's, that's a difficult situation for any coach, right? But, you know, hostility or or belligerence or whatever you get in that setting is i mean mercifully at least usually one-on-one -on -one versus if you're in a group setting and you have one person who does freak out when you bring up race or who gets you know worked up about something and you're like holy mackerel this we're this is what we're here to deal with but instead of actually moving ahead and i think this is where people like you and me get really frustrated so like dude we landed on this beachhead to move forward like that's that's the goal and all of a sudden we're here and there is one albatross just dragging our ass back to the water and we got to sit down and come back and be like okay can you help me understand what this reaction was everybody else came prepared to move on to this other thing you are clearly not ready to do that yet so let's talk about this like that is a super hard thing to do and i think one of the things that I would also I would also say is that I think more often than not, that is often you 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 made a comment about don't leave this to HR. I would also say, while while bosses and managers have to be able to do that, if you have any aspiration to ever be a boss or a manager, you need to start stepping in and doing it with your peers when you see it. When you're in a meeting with your peers. Because here's the other thing too, and this is another scenario that you see a lot, is you're in a meeting, everybody seems to be on board. Boss is like, great, we got buy-in, this is awesome, leaves. And then you have one person who's standing over the coffee machine later going, like, eh, I don't want to do that, this is stupid, why, why the hell are we bothering with this? So again, you know, I'm a firm believer and I, I always talk about this with my coaching clients is act for the part you want. If you want to be the boss, if you want to be a leader, then be a leader, even if that's not your title. And part of that is, so what, what was it about that that got under your skin so much? I'm just curious. Help, help me understand that and talk to them about it. Don't, don't leave it to the boss. Don't, don't wash your hands of it and be like, yeah, it's not my problem. I'm not worried about it. Now, if you're a clock puncher and you don't care and you're just there to collect your paycheck, then all right, well, you know, more power to you and knock yourself out. But if you want to find yourself, if you want to grow, if you want to find yourself in a position of taking on the responsibility that comes with leadership, do not walk away from opportunities like that to demonstrate leadership, regardless of what your title is. Yeah. And, and I, I think one of the, one of the crucial things you said there is really from the coaching standpoint and really how do you become the coaches as leader, as manager is the art of the check-in. But like you said, that, 
if you really want to be an influencer in a meeting, be the person that acknowledges everybody. And hey, before we move forward, um, I know I know Alora um, works directly with what we're talking about. Um, and and Laura, you've been quiet. I I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but Laura, can you? What do you have anything to add? And, and, and just that engagement and that acknowledgement of people when you've noticed that the leader of the meeting hasn't done it. And, yeah. and so you can, and again, at that point, if you wait for an hour to go by before you check in and say, hey, does anybody have anything? Well, crap, you didn't care 30 minutes ago. I'm not about to add nothing now and we're supposed to be leaving. I'm not about to be that person. And so that's how the water cooler ends up the water cooler. And so as a, as the facilitator of a meeting and again, getting good at facilitation, not just being a talking head, adding in check-ins with yourself and whatever prompts you need to give yourself, you need to check in to make sure really I haven't left anybody on at the beach. Like, and everybody's tracking with me and you're like, Oh crap. Like, and now it seems like an arduous task to go back and get Lawrence and like, all right, little buddy, where'd I lose you? And, and yeah. so now, and then I start being condescending in my tone and all the rest of that. And now I'm really taking offense because I understand tone and I don't talk to me like I'm slow. You should, I'm a processor and you didn't identify me or acknowledge me in my processing. And so that's the other part of the nuances of interpersonal strategies and understanding team dynamics is, we're not saying you have to be perfect at this thing. You just actually have to be, uh, uh, educate yourself and begin to want to be good in these areas. Because again, the last thing you want is your brilliant people to quit you because they weren't acknowledged in a very simplistic way along the way, right? Nobody wants the boat, the ship is built and now all of a sudden we send out the feedback survey. Well, and, and to be fair, you know what, the, the, I think in, in many organizations, and there's a lot of research about it, the real, your biggest danger isn't necessarily your best people quitting, it's that they just check out. They check out, they stay, and they just cash a paycheck and don't give a shit. They, they stop. Actually, those are the ones that are scary because those are the ones that they were your best people and you send your new people to them. And yeah. the whole time they're derailing you. And the new people was like, uh, why y'all had this person training me? Because they got quiet on you. And now they are seething. They have now went from an A player to a C player equaling cancer. And it's eaten away at your organization. And now it's, it's a festering wound um, yeah. that in a, it'll begin to stink on you if you don't check in so no great point that is a huge huge point man this was a good look it turned into something it did okay so quickly if you so for, if you have if you're a yep. coaching yep. A, a person who just got put into their first managerial position yeah. what are the what are the top couple like pieces of advice that you would you would give for them to start laying a foundation for their own their own management framework yeah, I would tell them first thing to do is do one-on-ones um, in, in the form of a win-win agreement with your team members. Um, and all that is, is finding out what do you need for me to be successful? And then you individually being able to share your script of how you like things to operate. And then do this crazy thing, bring them back together and repeat what you've told them individually in a group setting. It's so like, oh, so they don't think Allura heard something different. She got told something different. Then Lawrence got told something different. And Jack and Jill got told something different. No, y'all gonna hear me say it together. This is what I expect from you all. These are some of the things that came out of the individual sessions. Um, did you, and, and other people are like, ooh, that was good. I didn't say that. I, need, I do need that, right? And so what you do is you will begin to establish trust and credibility. Say, no, I'm, I'm going to be different or I'm going to enhance what a good leader before me did with you. Um, so yeah, that's clear upfront, establish the win-win when the stakes aren't huge. Go figure before pressure. Oh, and it, man, right? before, yeah, before the volcano erupts, it would oh, be nice. To have some <laughs> I love Stop. it. Yeah, that's basic. Okay. 
Okay, so I think mine would be, um, first is try to make it about the process and try to keep things from getting personal out of the gate. Love it. Um, like, I said, like I said before, you know, there, there will always be some amount that gets personal, but again, whether it's scheduled, whether it's being clear about the agenda, whether it's being clear about your objectives, whatever it is, you know, make sure that you try to depersonalize the parts that can be depersonalized because it will make dealing, it'll make sussing out the personal stuff a little bit easier to identify a little bit earlier before it gets as toxic. Yeah. Um, I would say the other big thing that, um, that is that I found super important related to actually what you said is kind of the the rule of seven right don't assume that the first time or the second time or even the fifth time you've said something they believe it especially if you are new to a leadership role especially if you're new to a team entirely if you get hired into a management role for a team that already exists and come in and you're the new person you're going to have to repeat yourself over and over again as someone who hates doing that it used to make me freaking crazy i'm like i already said that once no 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 you have to say something at least seven times before it starts sinking in so you need to prioritize what are the core messages i want this team to understand whether it's about the relationship i want with them whether it's about our team objectives whether it's about the company's mission whatever it is what are the core things because you can't have a you know, an avalanche of messaging. You've got to be clear, pick three to five things and you say them over and over. You say them individually, you say them collectively, you say them in writing, you say them verbally, you do them in all ways and you're consistent. And I would say the last thing is you have to, and, and, and all those things are very process oriented. And like I already mentioned, I usually get accused of being like super like unemotional and robotic, but the truth is the other thing is you need to start having conversations and and i would say i never in fact my last corporate job i got rid of my desk out of my office i only had i had couch and chairs i had my standing desk but it was on the side of the room where i could do calls and be but when i met with my team and the people came into my office we sat in what looked like a living room there was nothing between us there was no power dynamic because i was behind a desk so i would say the most important thing to help engender and help help really catalyze the ability to start cultivating trust is be human that means understand are they married do they have kids are they a dog person did they just you know wreck their car this weekend are they in the middle of selling their house is you know is is there does their mother have alzheimer's what is that stuff and actually start to understand it. And you can't drink by the, you can't, you know, again, back to Brene Brown, right? It's, it's not everything all at once. It's, you don't get blasted by it in your first one-on-one, -on -one, but remember it. And, and here's a great technique I actually learned from, a, from an old boss I had. So I suck at names. I'm terrible at remembering names. So like, especially now my staff, I'll, you know, obviously I figure them out, but like spouses, kids, like, ah, I never remember. I'm terrible about remembering that stuff. It's horrible. So I had, I had a mentor once who had a file folder, just a file on every single employee. And he would just, and it would, it had, um, it was the one that had the, like the binder clips in it that you could put paper in. And so he would just, he, as he would make, he would make notes when he was in a meeting with someone. And then after he just slip it in their folder and put it there. And so before he, especially for people that he didn't meet with frequently and didn't have a really, really strong relationship with, he would flip through it and he would, he would remind himself, oh yeah, they, that's right. They live over here. That's right. They, you know, they just, you know, moved into a new place or whatever. Oh yeah. Two kids, uh, divorce, like whatever. And he would remind himself before he went into the meetings and he would have it on hand. It was nothing like fantastically involved or anything about it, but it was his notes. And he made sure to capture the things that helped jog his memory so that when they came in and they talked, even if they hadn't spoken to him for six months, they left feeling like he considered them important. Exactly. And it was so, it's such like a dumb little hack to do. It's not that big of a deal. You can do it in Evernote. You can do it in, you know, there's a bazillion ways to do it. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, the biggest challenge, and you talk about this a lot as well, right? That people don't leave companies, they leave their boss. Mm -hmm. and, and when it comes down to it, there's so many things that we try to do. And again, we try to make it about the process. We try to depersonalize it, but we're still 
people and we still, you know, we still get pissed off or we still have a bad day or we still have some jerk cut us off in the freeway on our way to work or what, like whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. And the truth is, is that if you cannot balance, how do you be more effective? How do you drive some, some good process to be efficient with some basic compassion and, and ability to connect with people? you're always going to be so lopsided that you're gonna have a lot of difficulty, not just with building trust with your team, but establishing an executive presence, being seen as someone who can be calm, who can recognize a situation and say, okay, look, there are a lot of emotional people, but part of the reason they're emotional is because we didn't sort out some basic process stuff. So let's do that first. Let's agree that, that these are the things we're going to do. And then one-on-one, -on -one, I can come back and say, look, I know you were really upset about that. I'm sorry I let this situation kind of derail in this way. This is what we're going to do. How do you feel about what we agreed to? And then come back. I think, I think there's so much advice that's always kind of one or the other, right? It's, oh, do better at agendas. Do better at this. Make sure you give people an, blah, blah, blah none of that's unimportant, but by itself, that is not going to cut it. On the other hand, I don't care how warm and fuzzy you're going to be. If you drag people into meetings and you don't set the ground rules and you let a meeting just eat people's time for the sake of it, that's not going to help either. You have, it's a teeter-totter and you have to keep the two balanced. So that's always my advice to a new manager. Here we go. Awesome. Go be successful. That's all I'll say after that. Yeah, well, and the thing is, is that some of that stuff, once you start getting in the groove there, that's when you discover a, the fun part of managing people. Because when you give, it's, you know, and it's, and it's kind of like having kids, right? You give them just enough boundaries, but let them be creative and let them get excited about something and run with something. The same is true for employees. They need enough structure to feel supported, but then enough empathy to feel empowered. And you have to have both. Boom. There you go. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, I think we hit it on the head for this week. And I would say that if um, a certain person who participated in last night's debate had half that degree of, of self-awareness and emotional intelligence, then it would have been a far less uh, significant train wreck that we watched, wouldn't it? Exactly. And uh, yeah, we could only hope that it gets... <laughs> oh, dear. God, do we hope. All righty, my friend, then I will talk to you next week and have a fantastic week uh, fixing all the mystery stuff that crops up in your life. You as well. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Join us next week when we'll take on our next topic. In the meantime, have a fantastic week.